So we are continuing our series on Genesis. So we are um, continuing Genesis 12 now. So last week, uh, we got introduced to a character named Abram. And Abram, and that was the text that was in, your, in the liturgy. So apologies, we were not able to edit that out. So we are looking at the, the next part of the story. So we know that this guy named Abram, uh, uh, his name was eventually uh, changed to Abraham, and he is obviously widely recognized uh, as the father of uh, faith, right? Uh, and so just a little bit of review with uh, what we have uh, studied last week. So we saw in Gen uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 9, God initiated this covenant relationship with Abraham, uh, and we see this uh, covenant develop. We will see this uh, develop in the coming chapters. Um, and Abram respond, uh, responded to God by moving out uh, of his comfort zone, his land, his relatives, his family, basically everything that he uh, feels to be close to his heart. He left all of that and became a sojourner or a pilgrim. Uh, to a new land that God promised to give to his offspring, right? So this is basically parang a setting of a new story, uh, a setting of a new journey, something like uh, a Bilbo would do, right? So he will start on a new adventure. And in a typical story, you would assume that after you know, the setting like that, uh, you would assume that this will lead to an amazing heroic journey where the main character stays true to his values, right? But what we get immediately in the text that was read to us, we hear that our main character makes his first blunder. One of the many blunders that he will make some of you probably heard many preachings, many lessons, many devotional uh, readings, and preachings revolving around this story. And some, some would say, you know, this is a, basically an, an ethical, uh, like behavioral uh, text only or story. For me, uh, from what I've heard, uh, many times is a moral teaching telling me whether to follow the example of Abraham or whether not to follow the example of Abraham. So in Genesis 12, 1 to 9, check yun, check. Ah, ito. Abraham was faithful and obedient. Be like Abraham. E paano in Genesis 10 to 20? Abraham was not faithful and not obedient, so do not be like Abraham. So if we ping pong, if we like move from one of those two moral lessons only, or oh, ito check, ito X, you know, we will eventually get exhausted. You will eventually get exhausted. And if that is how we read these stories, because there will be a lot of those stories of uh, a step of faith, a step of uh, a courageous act, then, then immediately failure. If that's how we will read you know, uh, the stories here, we will miss what is consistent in these stories. 
what is consistent in these stories is God's sovereign grace over human failure. And that's our uh, title, the title of our sermon today. And here's what I want for us to take away from, from this lesson. Abram's failures reflects not only his weakness, but also mirrors our own depravity and failure. And we see here God's uh, intervention, and it may appear out of place or even harsh, but God's intervention reflects his gracious nature to bring our good. And finally, we look to the revealed plan of God. We see a glimpse of that here. But when we look at the scripture, we see that Christ is really our hope because in him we see and experience a true self-giving love, one that Abraham failed to do. Right? So those are our key points in our sermon today. Number one, Abraham's failure is our failure. Number two, God's painful intervention is for our good. And number three, Christ's self-giving love is our only hope. I wish I could, you know, you know, write that better, like alliteration, lahat H, lahat K, lahat P, whatever. Uh, I'm not as, I'm not that smart. <laughs> so ganito na lang. I, I think it, it spells out to us what, uh, what this text for us today is. So Abraham's failure is our failure. God's painful intervention is for our good. Christ's self-giving love is our only hope. Let's look at them one by one. So Abraham's failure, as we see here, is our failure. Let's look at the, what's going on here. What happened immediately after this call, after the call of Abraham, what happened was there was a famine in the land. Anong land yung pinag-uusapan dito? In our previous text, it, it tells us that he is in the land of Canaan. He moved from his own hometown, uh, Ur, of the Chaldeans. He moved to this land, the land supposedly God promised. Specifically, yung verse 9, it ended in a place called Negev. Negev, geographically, is actually a dry land to begin with. It's already a dry land. But more than being dry, we see in our story, there was a famine. Not just any famine, it was uh, repeated in the text, there was a severe famine. There's no food for your family. Food for the flock, there's no. There's no food there. If wala, if wala kang uh, storehouses or supplies, chances are you will die of hunger. Again, take note, this is supposedly the land, the land that God promised to Abraham, which I will, you know, dig deeper later. So there's a the famine in the land. Ano ginawa ni Abraham? What did Abraham do? Well, as we see in their text, he went where the food is. He went down literally, geographically, to Egypt. And we know during the ancient times, during uh, this period of uh, history, Egypt is a prosperous region because of the Nile River. Meron silang Nile River. 
It's, it's the place where dreams are made of. So you go there for opportunity. You go there for a job. You go there for food. You go there for to establish a good life. This is where you go when there's no opportunity elsewhere. So Abraham, along with his wife and the whole uh, household from the promised land, which there was a famine, went down to Egypt. Question, was it wrong for Abraham to do that? Was it wrong? Yes? No? Maybe? I don't know? Was it wrong? Some people say, it's wrong. Kasi iniwan niyo yung promised land. Some people say, it's not wrong. Kasi kahit nasa promised land siya, kung may, may famine naman, mamamatay lang din siya. You know the answer? Our passage does not say. <laughs> it does not say whether yes or no. So it could be like, the writer does not say whether it's explicitly whether it's wrong or the writer does not say whether it's explicitly just correct. But one thing I am certain, one thing I am certain Given the circumstances, if you are in that situation, you will probably do the same thing. Am I right? You will probably do the same thing. I will do the same thing. You know the biggest export commodity of the Philippines? People. People. In the 70s, 80s, there was a massive... My, Immigration, bantaldan. Immigration of people to the mid Filipinos to the Middle East. It continues today, but yun yung influx, 70s, 80s. 90s, US, Canada. Early 2000s, Australia. I'm very sure you know someone, even a family member, working overseas right now. Members of this church, people who were part of this church, are now in Sydney, Canada, and Hong Kong for work. Why? Because it appears that the grass is greener on the other side. All right? So is that wrong? <laughs> is that wrong? So it looks like it's not as black and white as we hope, right? Sometimes it is wise to look for better opportunities elsewhere when, where it's, when it seems like your job is a dead end or you are drying out or your boss is toxic or you're severely underpaid or sometimes it's wiser naman to just stay put and be faithful and wait for God's instruction. Perhaps even Abram interpreted the famine as a sign from God to bring his family out and down to Egypt. We don't know. So it's not as black and white as we think, right? 
But what he did as they enter Egypt is completely black and white. This is clear whether what he did was right or wrong. Let me read our text again. So that's not on your liturgy, so you can open your Bible, Genesis uh, 12, 10 to 20. Yung nandu sa liturgy is the previous text. Let me read 11 to 13. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to, wife, to his wife, Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Nax, kinomplement yung asawa. Maganda ka. Honey, maganda ka eh. By the way, hindi lang ito subjective ha? Hindi niya lang kinocompliment yung asawa niya. Our text really says, nabighani yung mga Egyptians <laughs> sa, sa ganda ni, ni Sarah, ni Sarai. Considering 65 na siya ng mga time na to, no? You're, a, you're a, a beautiful woman and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, you know, that this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So ganitong gawin natin, verse 13. Say that you are my sister, so that it will go well with me because of you. So that it may go well with me because of you. So that my life will be spared on your account. Wives, <laughs> would you like a husband like that? Single ladies, would you pray for a husband like that? I don't think so, right? And here is where we see Abram failed, and he failed big time. Well, number one, he acted in deception. By the way, when he said that Sarah is his sister, that's technically not a lie. Okay? That's half truth. <laughs> Half truth siya, kasi, kasi half sister sila eh. Makikita natin yun sa Genesis 20. So even though he did not technically said a lie, the intent was to deceive. Kasi pwede natin ipaliwanag, ay hindi naman talaga nagsinungaling si Abram eh. Half truth, totoo naman yung sinabi niya. Pero yung intent was to deceive. Diba? That's the point. He, uh, his, he acted in deception. Number two, it, it, gets, ano, it, gets, it gets worse as we look at these failures. So he acted in deception. Number two, he acted selfishly. Essentially, he, he threw his wife, Sarai, under the bus. Are you familiar with that phrase? You threw him under the bus. For what? So that his life will be spared. By the way, this is not new in, 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 in the scripture. We see this even in Genesis 2. Adam, when, when God talked to them and said, What have you done? Anong reaction ni, ni Adam? E yung asawa na binigay mo sa akin. So Adam shifted the blame. Abram shifted the danger. 
Like he, he really literally put Sarai on the spot and put her in danger. I don't think that's the kind of husband that you would want. Here's a third one. Third failure. And I, and I think that's it. This is the, the, the deeper failure here. He has forgotten the promise of God to him. He has forgotten the promise of God to him. By executing this deceptive strategy, he puts the promise of an offspring in jeopardy. Perhaps he did not fully believe that he, they will have an offspring. Sarah is barren anyway at this point, right? Maybe he thought, well, I can give my wife away because there's no offspring naman. Logically speaking, we will not have children anyway, so I might as well spare my life. Maybe he thought he is fulfilling God's plan his own way. You know, you see, the bottom line of these failures is this. Abraham is living as if there's no God who spoke to him, who appeared to him, and who made a promise to him. Essentially, you know what that's called? Practical atheism. Practical atheism. You know the God of the Bible, but you live as if the God of the Bible is not true to his word. He is not faithful. He's not powerful. You say that you believe the God of the Bible, but you live out your life as if he does not exist. Practical atheism. Hala si Pastor, harsh kay Abraham. <laughs> Ang harsh mo naman, Pastor. I thought we were supposed to esteem Abraham as the man of faith. I thought he is in the Hebrews 11 list of people who are heroes of faith. That's true. But it is also clear that this man of faith has well-documented moral failures. And what that tells us is that faithfulness to God, uh, the faithfulness of God's people and their moral failures, they are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. They are not two separate things. We wrestle with both of them. We wrestle with faithfulness the same way we wrestle with our failure. So if we say and if we hope to relate to Abraham in his faithfulness, we must also say that we can relate to him even more so in his failures. Right? If we aspire to be as faithful as Abraham, we must also take into the account that we also relate to him in his failures. Here's what uh, one theologian said, and let me quote him. Abraham's failures, including this one, remind us that Abraham was a real person, not a perfect ideal character such as, as is found in heroic tales. At times, he displayed great courage and acted in bold faith. At other times, he succumbed to fear and acted in a weak, self-serving manner. By the way, like I mentioned earlier, 
hindi to one-time thing yung ginawa niya. It happened again with another king in Genesis 20. So our, our aspiration for faithfulness and our tendency for our failures, they are not mutually ex exclusive. We wrestle with them together. And so when we say, when we say, ayoko na sa earth, daming, and daming moral failures, and daming, and daming kag kaguluhan, and daming, you know, and I can see the fallenness of the world. This world is really broken. Well, it's broken because you're part of it. We live in a fallen world because it is filled with fallen people like you and me. And we must recognize that Abram's failure to trust God for his salvation is also our failure. That's our default setting. Ang tawag dito, self-preservation. Given the opportunity, we will, we will preserve ourselves. We will fail as a husband. We will fail as a son. We will fail as a daughter. We will fail as a Christian. I will fail as a pastor. You will fail as a member of the church. Because you want to preserve yourself. And when we realize that we are utterly unable to preserve ourselves completely, we recognize that we need God to intervene for our salvation. Dahil hindi natin kaya to really preserve ourselves completely, we need someone else. We need an intervention. And God's intervention will come. And at times... That intervention will be painful, but it is for our good. And that's our second point here. God's painful intervention is for our good. So you see in our story, it shifts in verse 17. Verse 17, there's a, a phrase there, but the Lord. After all these failures by Abram, after uh, moving from the Negev to Egypt, the story shifts from 17 with the phrase, but the Lord. This is a powerful phrase because, you know, we can see this all throughout Scripture. But the Lord saw, but God spoke, but the Lord stopped. And in Ephesians, it says, you know, after describing uh, how we are dead in our sin, the translation is, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. When, when you see this phrase in your Bible, you see a transition of the story. Ang tawag natin dito, and I'm sure you've heard of this, divine intervention. Right? You've heard of that? Divine intervention. It means that God enters the story and acts to change the situation. Divine intervention. By the way, let me clarify something when we talk about divine intervention. Divine, interven divine intervention does not mean God is passive or inactive prior to the intervention. Okay? Divine intervention does not mean parang nag-aabang lang si God. Parang hinahayaan niya lang yung creation niya tapos 
Ah, okay, may trouble, saka ako papasok. Okay? That's not what we mean by divine intervention because we must understand that God is at work all the time. Right? God is actively at work all the time. And so when we see divine intervention in the text, it's an evidence that God is entering the story. The, the, the writer is simply telling us that God's hand is now visible. That his hand is upon the situation. His imprint is everywhere. That now his sovereign move is now uh, visible and experienced and uh, recognized by the people in the story. That's what we mean when we talk about divine intervention. But how did God intervene here? Let me continue yung, yung buong uh, verse 17. But the Lord, here's the Lord's act, afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Let me paraphrase one, one word here that might resonate with us even more. Let me read it again. I'll just paraphrase. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his household with a pandemic. That's what a plague is. Severe disease. And I hope you notice how Pharaoh, a pagan worshiper, recognized that something transcendent, something big, something divine is behind all this. He understood that there is something wrong. That's why there's a pandemic, which probably involved God. We don't know. Our text does not say how long they tried to figure it out. Maybe three years then, pandemic nila noon. I don't know. They, I, I, it, we don't know how they figured out how na si Abram is probably involved in, in, in some way with this affliction that he is to blame, that he is, you know, he is the culprit, so to speak. Because in verse 18 to 20, Pharaoh confronts him of this deception and sends them away, including all the possessions they all gathered from Egypt. Hindi ko alam paano nilalaman. It might took them a while, but there's an unnoticeable act of uh, recognizing that something is wrong here. And so you might ask, why would God afflict Pharaoh? Eh, hindi naman siya yung may kasalanan. Think about that. Why would God afflict Pharaoh? Eh, hindi naman siya yung nang deceive. Diba? <laughs> Why would God afflict someone who's supposedly innocent in the situation? Because, you know, if, if that is our line of thinking, if that's how, and that's a very valid question, right? But we need to process, if that is our line, line, uh, line of thinking, it reveals that we view this affliction as a punishment for wrongdoing. 
This affliction is a punishment for wrongdoing. Partly yes, but if it's only punishment, then God is punishing the wrong guy. Right? <laughs> if this is only punishment, he is punishing the wrong guy. So maybe, maybe this is not merely punishment. Maybe this affliction is not merely punishment but something else. Perhaps this affliction, and I'll say this very slowly so you will get it, this affliction is a painful preventive measure for everyone's good to preserve what God has planned for them. Let me repeat that. This affliction is not simply punishment, but a painful preventive measure for everyone's good and to preserve what God has planned. You know what it's like? It's like removing a tumor before it becomes cancer. It's severing a, a broken relationship before it destroys you. It's church discipline before sin takes over your soul. That's affliction. Think about it. What was happening before God stepped in? Bago nag-intervene si God, how was Abram and Sarai before that? Can you imagine? Ironically, ironically, they were living a comfortable life. They were living a comfortable life. They are far away from the severe famine. Okay, na-spare sila dun sa famine. That seems like a distant memory now. You see in a text that Abram received even more livestock, even more servants. His life was spared. Sarai, on the other hand, is now living comfortably in Pharaoh's palace because he was, uh, she was uh, brought to Pharaoh as a harem. You're part of the, yeah, <laughs> you're part of the, the women. <laughs> but you're living in the palace. You're, you're living comfortably. So it looks like, it's look, it looks like the strategy worked. The strategy worked. From experiencing famine, they are now enjoying what Egypt can offer them. What's the, what's the exchange of that? Abram and Sarah cannot ever tell anyone they are married. They are far from each other. They are far from the land that God promised to them. They will probably stay in Egypt for as long as they can keep their deception secure. 
Yes, they will live a comfortable life, but they will also live a miserable life. Unless God steps in. Friends, that's, that's why it's important for God to intervene in our lives. Because we think our pursuit of comfortable life will lead us to you know, everything that, everything that we hope. But if God does not step in, we will live a comfortable but miserable life. God's painful intervention, as we see in the story, prevented Pharaoh from having sexual relations with someone else's wife. If God did not step in, Pharaoh would have had sexual relationship with Sarai, and that would probably mean even worse problems. And Pharaoh's rebuke of Abraham forced them out of Egypt. Hindi sila aalis dun eh. Hindi sila aalis hanggat hindi sila nauhuli. But that rebuke from Pharaoh, Pharaoh pa ang nag-rebuke sa kanya, brought them back from Egypt to Negev. That's the painful intervention of the Lord. It's for their good. It's for our good. Friends, here's what that means for us. You know, our, our tendency, because we can relate to Abram's failures of deception, of self-preservation, our tendency is to look for paradise on earth. Kaya nga kayo nag-vacation eh, di ba? Tayo pala. <laughs> Tayo. <laughs> That's our tendency to look for paradise on earth, to, to look for the most comfortable experience. But affliction, pandemic, heartbreak, closed doors, illnesses are divine intervention to remind us that our desire to look for paradise here on earth is a futile attempt. This is not our home. You will just live a comfortable but miserable life. You know how God will ultimately deal with those who will ultimately reject Him? He will leave them in their own sinfulness. He will not withhold the destructive effect of sin in their lives. He will let it run its course until sin has completely consumed them. If I see my son swimming on a puddle of mud and I don't care about my son, I will let him there for the rest of his life. But I have to discipline him and he will experience affliction in my, from my hands so that he will know that's, that what, that's what he needs. And, he, and that's, a phrase, that's a phrase that I want to share with you because that has been a, a, an encouraging uh, phrase for me for the past maybe a, a, a year and a half. Take note of this phrase. The painful goodness of the Lord. The painful 
goodness of the Lord. This is, by the way, coming from a loosely paraphrased letter from C.S. Lewis. And, and I'll quote uh, a pastor who loosely quoted C.S. Lewis. He said, We have no doubt that the Lord will be good to us. We just don't know how painful that goodness is going to be. Let me repeat that. We have no doubt that the Lord will be good to us. We just don't know how painful that goodness is going to be. You know, the painful goodness of God is a gift packaged horribly. Let me repeat that. The painful goodness of God is a gift that Pastor Abbott wrapped. Because <laughs> I'm bad at gift wrapping. It's going, to be, it's going to look horrible, but it's good for you. At the center of that is what you really need. So trust the sovereignty of God is going to hurt. That's part of the, our Christian walk. And God must intervene because if the promise of salvation and ultimate blessing for all the earth, for all families on the earth, rests solely on Abram's faithfulness, it will never happen. God must intervene because Abram is frail. He is broken. He is sinful. God must intervene and God has intervened. How did he intervene aside from this in our story? Well, God has ultimately intervened by sending a true and better Abram. Who is that true and better Abram? Jesus Christ. That's our final point today. We see Christ's self-giving love to be our only hope. You know, by God's providence, we now have the whole Bible complete, and it reveals to us the plan of God. And we see that where Abram failed, Jesus Christ succeeded. Where Abram failed, Jesus Christ succeeded. You know, there's a line in our text here, there are actually two verses that gives us a glimpse of the gospel. Verse 13, let me read again. Ito yung strategy ni, ni Abraham. No? Say you're my sister that it may go well with me because of you so that my life will be spared for your sake. Verse 16, and for her sake, the Pharaoh dealt well with Abraham. For her sake. For the sake of Sarah's life, for the sake of Sarah's beauty and sacrifice, Abram's life was spared. For the sake of Ab uh, Sarah's, li Sarah's life and beauty and sacrifice, Abram's life was improved. In exchange of someone else's life, Abram's Life was saved. Isn't that a glimpse of what we experience in Christ? 
that for, for in, in exchange for someone else's life, we are spared. But what we see here in our text, we see Abram using his wife, giving someone else's life for his sake. And that is the flip side. That is the reverse of what Christ did. Because Christ offered himself freely for us, for the sake of his bride, the church. And so Christ is the better husband. Christ is the true Abraham. Where do we see that? Ephesians 5. Let me read Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, I often use this passage in weddings that I officiate because I want to remind the couple that their marriage is not just about their happy ever after. It's not just about, you know, having children. It's not just about fulfilling a dream wedding. It's not just about, you know, producing an Instagram-worthy same-day edit. It's not just even about mutual utility, like because you are now together, you can, you can share the rent together. Now, bills are now, you know, uh, better because income na. It's more than that. Because in, in the passage, passage that I, uh, I read, Ephesians 5, you know how, uh, how Paul ended that? He ended that by saying, you know, this whole mystery is profound. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. I remind couples that the biblical marriage points to the gospel. You see, when Paul was giving these practical reminders for husbands and wives, their roles with one another, how they are to treat one another, he says, I am referring to these things. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The whole point of marriage is for one man and one woman to experience in a very unique way how Christ loves the church. It is a visual and visceral example of the gospel. It's a clear example that you will fail and you need God to intervene and you need the love of Christ. Married people know that. And for single people here, you want to experience the gospel, get married. <laughs> get married. I highly recommend it. You want affliction? Get married. <laughs> you, want, you want to feel the painful goodness of the Lord? If the Lord has appointed you to get married, I highly recommend it. What a painful goodness of the Lord. <laughs> I have been afflicting my wife with the painful goodness of the Lord for 12 years already. You're welcome, wife. <laughs> but, that's, but that's where we see the gospel. We see that I, I can never 
truly be like Christ as a husband because I promote myself, I preserve myself. But Christ gave himself for his bride. Jesus Christ reversed what Abram did. Abram gave his wife to preserve his own life. Jesus Christ freely offered his life for the sake of his bride. What does that mean for, for us today? And, and I'll conclude here. If you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church, friends, let me remind you that your justification does not rest on whether you are faithful like Abraham or failure like Abraham. It rests fully on the faithfulness and self-giving love of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Similarly, that's your justification, resting on Christ. Similarly, your sanctification is not entirely up to you. God is involved in making you holy. He will intervene. He will use any means necessary, including affliction, to accomplish the good that he has planned. And so receive the painful goodness of the Lord. And lastly, if you are here and, don't, and you don't consider yourself a Christian, you, you are not sure yet whether you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Because you feel like you still need to gain enough sacrifices to be accepted by God. Let me tell you something. You cannot in your whole lifetime gain enough good work to be accepted by God. Your good works and sacrifice is still tainted by sin. But the good news is Christ already made that sacrifice for your sake, on your behalf. Just like what we see in our text, it will, the Lord will deal well with you for his sake. You know why? Because he is good. He is faithful. And his faithfulness and his goodness is bestowed on you as you are united with him. Friends, that's the reason why we look at our relationship with Christ as union with Christ. Is it, is it, in, because it's how we understand that's the only way that God will look at us as faithful, obedient people when we see, when God sees Christ in us. Friends, put your faith in Christ, the true and better Abraham. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. We praise you, God, for the good news that Christ is the husband that gave his life for the bride who purchased her, loved her, and sanctifies her. Lord, we are that church. And we are grateful and humbled that you would call us to yourself. Lord, I pray for this church that we will 
receive well the afflictions that come along the way. That as we experience the discomfort and the brokenness of our world, we'll, we will come to you. Lord, I pray that we will continue to recognize how broken and, and sinful and miserable we are so that we will always come to you. And I pray, Lord, that we will continue to trust the self-giving love of Christ our Savior in our lives. We praise you, we love you in Christ's name. Amen.